It's time for another deep dive conversation, so kick back, relax, and enjoy some of Solana's finest interviews. This is Art After Dark, you're not listening to, so City Radio. Yo, yo, this is your host Irene here. The following conversation with British artist Michael Nolson is one full of brilliant discussion and absolutely incredible insights into subjects as varied as the relationship of abstraction and deconstruction, of art and technology, of the importance of mentorship all the way out to our cosmic history and being a student of your practice. But to me, the greatest aspect of this conversation is Michael's genuine cadence, honesty, and humility when expressing his vision. This is a conversation from which I took a lot of inspiration and introspection, and I hope it can do the same for you. And now, I leave you with my conversation with Michael Nelson. it off this is art after dark the special weekend edition episode 17 and tonight it's my honor to present to you a truly fascinating british painter who's asking very important questions through abstract complexity an artist based in berlin who's also a mentor for the vca residency and frankly an artist who's the more you dive into their work the more questions <laughs> intricacies that you'll find and hopefully, we'll get to answer some of those tonight. So please give it up for the one and only, Mikal Nelson. Did I say that name right? Hey, man. <laughs> you can say it how you like, uh, if you like. But uh, it's Michael is fine. Yeah. Uh, Michael. Yeah. It's... <laughs> <laughs> but I like the way you say it. So that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> it gives it a bit of a bit of an edge to it. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I'm happy to have you here. I've been looking forward to this one. I don't think I've... Man, I've interviewed probably well over 100 artists in the past year and a half, and I don't think anybody's been as challenging <laughs> as you. You are fascinating, my brother. Well, uh, don't pick me up too much, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I shall promise to disappoint. <laughs> no, actually, I've been, listen- I've been listening to a couple of them. I, I listened to uh, recently... Um, uh, Dr. Revel, which was amazing. Uh, I'm a friend of hers, and I found out more from the interview than I did uh, from speaking to her so, <laughs> about um, her Buddhism and the history and everything. It's really amazing. And I also, oh, wow. also listened to uh, Sleeper as well. Yeah, that was a really great interview talking about um, uh, his tripping and everything, you know, like, uh, yeah, right. really, really great. But I'm excited for tonight's one. So why don't you kick us off by giving us the who, what, why, and how? Who are you? What do you do? Why do you do it? How'd you end up here tonight? Oh Jesus! Yeah, I mean, I'm not really one for monologues, to be honest. Uh, so, so cut in whenever you want. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm Michael Nelson. I'm a, um, I make a mostly digital art at the moment. Uh, I mostly make um, abstract uh, digital paintings and also uh, 3D sculptures. I don't know. Did you have a look at any of my 3D sculptures? Absolutely, and I got a couple of questions related to that. Yeah, cool, man. Um, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> um, I think 
you're you're really interesting. There's a lot of peculiarities to to what you do, and I think we should probably start from the very beginning. How did art find its way to your life? Oh well, um, yeah, I've been thinking about this um, this week because I'm not really into like the the kind of the biography of the artist. You know, I think that people are the ones who make up the the story of someone rather than the the artist themselves. Um, but I do remember, like when I was from a very young age, I would just be uh, just drawing and drawing. I don't know when I started, but like literally from when I can remember, just sitting on the couch, you know, like uh, with a TV on and just blocking everything out of my head and just sitting there, just looking down at this piece of paper with my pen or my pencil and just drawing all sorts of random, random crap. You know, sometimes it would be telling myself stories, you know, sometimes it would be these like space battles, you know, from watching uh, Star Wars or whatever. You know, sometimes it would be making cartoons of my family members and putting them into the funny situations and stuff. So it's always been the way that I kind of communicated with the world, you know, like whether it would be communicating with the world like around me or whether it would be like uh, communicating with my, my inner self, as it were. So, um, yeah, and that just kind of developed, you know, uh, then uh, I think I remember the moment when I just started to like draw things that were actually like existed around me. You know, I, I think I had going back to Star Wars again. I had uh, what is it? The Scout Walker, you know, the one on two legs like uh, and um, it was like one of my favorite toys. You know, we didn't have a lot of great toys, but that was a, that was a great one I had. And uh, I remember just sitting on the table. Maybe I was about like maybe six, maybe. And sitting on the table and just getting a pencil and paper and just sitting there for hours, just like trying to draw it to exact, exactly how I could see it. And um, I was massively surprised by uh, actually what, what came out. And I showed uh, my family and like, they were like, where did that come from? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like uh, it was obviously something like innate, you know, like the, the ability to be able to, uh, um, yeah, somehow digest the reality around me, like, uh, you know, through, uh, um, that medium and then uh, I was really proud of myself you know and a few weeks later I was like okay let me get a, a pen and uh, let me see if I can trace over it and I, and I drew all over this like drawing um, that I had made that were originally in pencil and I and I showed uh, my family again they're like what have you done you've ruined it you know <laughs> and I thought that, that was like my, my first uh, my first criticism in life my first art criticism you know? <laughs> and I, no, but I love that it seems like it was very intuitive to you and it was part of how you experienced life and how you were able to kind of communicate, as you said. And it's fascinating that it started young and it started, you know, simple, innocent and slowly kind of developed. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, like, I don't know. Um, it's something which has always been intrinsic with my identity, whether like I, you don't put a name on it, do you? You know, like you don't say, well, I'm a fine artist. I'm a contemporary artist. I'm whatever when you're younger, but you, it's something which is intrinsic with your, uh, well, with my uh, identity growing up. And there's something that I always uh, would go to, you know, whether uh, if I was like bored or if I was like, there was too much going on around me or, or if I was stressed out, I would always communicate it through my drawing, you know? And uh, yeah, and that's kind of built up and, um, you know, like through high school, you know, like, a, um, you know, uh, uh, it would be something you kind of get labeled that way, you know, like, oh, that's the, the one who draws, you know, <laughs> that's, right. that's your thing, you know, the, fun, the funny guy, you know, the guy, uh, the funny guys over there, the good looking guys over there, you know, that's the guy who draws. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> woohoo. And, uh, yeah. And so, like, I didn't really know. I mean, like, I come from a working class background, I still am. And, um, and I didn't really know the, the thing that people 
don't really talk about, you know, is that when you're working class a lot of the time, you don't really understand like how big the world is, you know, and you don't really understand um, <clears throat> the avenues you can take to be able to uh, uh, like, yeah, to, to fulfill your in brackets dreams, you know, like, uh, I, if you come from like a second generation artist family, then your, your parents are already telling you, oh, this is what you have to do to do this, to do this, to do this. If you come exactly. from, it's very different. You don't have, the resources or the access to the opportunities yeah but also the imagination you know like you're told like i'm <laughs> going into a rent here like you know in the working class like um environment you're kind of told like well this is what this is where you go don't think too high don't uh, don't step out of your box mostly because other people don't want to face those ideas of uncertainty of uh, trying something themselves you know and um right yeah and so I just really didn't know what I was doing. You know, I was like, well, I, I can, I can do this thing and it doesn't have a lot of value. Like, but I want to like move on, you know, and I was speaking with my teachers and everything. They're like, oh yeah, you've got to do a foundation and you've got to go to art school. You know, <laughs> I was like, okay, let's try that out. You know? And, um, and yeah. And then at the same time, a lot of people are saying, then you have to kind of push it into this idea of like, is you have to be a graphic designer or an illustrator. You can't, you can't actually just be an artist, you know, like that's not a job. Right, the stereotype of the starving artist. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, which is something I've uh, gotten used to, actually, is being <laughs> being the starving artist. But also something that I kind of romanticize, and I and I and I feel like, um, in a way, like there's kind of like there's a, a tribe, there's a history, an ancestry of like this uh, this role, you know, and it, right. not so much like uh, you know, I think maybe in the last like twenty years, it's been more. Um, you know, you're young, you've got the world ahead of you, bang, you go and you go straight to the top, you know, like, uh, I'm going to you know, never sleep, I'm going to grind and I'm going to be the best I can, all this kind of stuff. And that's got, that idea was like a very modern idea. It's got more to do with like externality of something, you know, but like the, the whole idea of the starving artist idea is that you are, um, you have a relationship with something that you don't want to let go of and you want to pursue that no matter the circumstance, you know? And uh, and when you strip away, like, ideas of success and everything, really that's, like, what I think uh, uh, the artist journey is, you know? And, uh, yeah, so where was I? <laughs> I, wholeheartedly, I wholeheartedly agree. And I think that sets up perfectly in the conversation. I think before diving into, you know, a little bit of your work and, and the ideas, I think it's very important to discuss a couple of elements that I see very consistent throughout your body work. Number one being your, your color palette. Mm -hmm. I see a lot of warm tones. I see reds and pinks. And it's got me wondering, what's your relationship to color? And why particularly these warm colors? Yeah, well, I mean, I've never really been a very good colorist at all. Like, I, I think I was, I remember when I was in my 20s, I said, I'm going to paint everything in black and white. And once I understand black and white then i'm going to go into color you know <laughs> after after many years then i'm going to start dealing with color and um whew, there's a there's a bit of history behind like actually like uh this kind of color palette that i set that i'm kind of inside of right now and uh that was kind of resetting um had a, had a, my child was born in like uh 2011 uh and uh 
around that time, like uh, I was thinking to myself, like going with these ideas of like resetting because there's I had a lot of history in between. I'm, I'm 44 now, so in my 20s and 30s, there was a lot of um, like artistic history going in all s different sorts of directions. And at one point, I, I said to myself, like I want to like reset everything, and I want to get rid of all of the things that I have on my shoulders, and I just want to start again and explore and learn. And yeah, basically free myself with the the idea of expectation or the or the history of um, uh, what I've done. You, you know, there's that thing in finance called like sunk costs. You know, and people value yeah. people value something on all of the money that's gone into it, rather than the value it has right there in their hand. And it's a really silly way of doing anything. You know, <laughs> and um, you can kind of have that idea with your art as well. You know, it's like well, because I've done all this stuff before then I kind of have to keep on going with this thing, you know? And uh, and the, the more you do that, the more you get away from the idea of curiosity and the idea of uh, surprising yourself and finding things out and, and being fresh. And, and at this time, uh, after my daughter's born, I decided, yeah, I'm just going to start literally from scratch. I'm going to go out. I'm going to buy like uh, some, some paper and I'm going to get all these, uh, I'm going to get some art, like just drawing materials. And I'm just going to relearn how to draw. And uh, and not not draw anything, but literally just the feeling of going from from a line, feeling how a line feels, you know. And I'm, this isn't um, a visual medium right now. We're talking, but I'm drawing a line, <laughs> 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 like an idiot. Uh, yeah, but just and just wondering uh, that relationship that I have with it sounds weird that that I have with uh, my hand and what it's doing in the paper, and just relearning because as an adult, you you have these habits right and it's the same thing as an artistic adult i guess as well you have a lot of things which you generally just just do automatically because at one point you decided that was a good thing to do and i was just trying to break down all those things and the reason why that's got to do with color <laughs> is that um i like when i i decided like for some reason i went for all these very light colors these very pastel colors, these like uh, these pinks and turquoises, um, mostly because um, uh, I went through a lot of different colors at the time. But when I was drawing, I found that, that, that anytime you put like a really heavy, bold color down, then it would force a direction of what you're doing too much. You would create a story or a narrative about where everything would have to go. And I wanted to make uh, that point before you have to um, decide on a visual decision. Uh, to be as late as possible so that as many things are interacting with each other before, um, yeah, how would you say, for, for, some, for something like, a, for a lot, a lot of communication on the page to be happening before you actually make like bold moves. You know? And that's the reason why there's these light kind of warm colors was because with this drawing, these drawings, like uh, the colors were more of a direction of uh, my uh, process rather than uh, a color choice to be about anything if you know what i mean does that make sense it does make sense and it's really fascinating because you reinvent yourself you find this new color palette where you get to experience more of the process versus like you say having a direction being set for you by your color choice and it's really interesting because that also leads me to one of the other elements that i see very much across your entire body of work which is you know your choice of titling which is, you know, large part of your body of work is untitled. That, to mm. me, having the confidence to leave work untitled, that speaks volumes. But in your titling, you have a lot of dates. You have places and a lot of languages and references that you make throughout. 
Talk to me about how you title pieces and why these elements are at play. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, just just to just to finish off the, the the color idea is that the reason why the things that I make now are, are are that color, as I was talking before, was because of the way that I process my work. That one thing is coming from the next thing, so I'm actually taking the colors from another um, an earlier work. They kind of digest into the next thing. So that there's like the lineage of color is not because I'm making that choice. It's because it's coming from that history. But in terms of the, the titles, uh, yeah. So I think most, I mean, Untitled is a little bit of a kind of, I don't know how to describe it. it it's, you know, it's, it's a, a trope almost in like fine art, you know, like, a, well, not everything should have a, a name. Mostly things are untitled because they weren't actually titled. You know, like so an artist would do something and then someone would say, what is it called? Well, it, he didn't title it so, or he, she, she didn't title it. So it's untitled and this is the year, you know. So um, it becomes a trope for me that you can call something untitled. It's almost like in a way of like uh, being a part of the canon of, of uh, art history, you know. But um, the reason why a lot of these works that, are, uh, that are, I minted in, I think you'll call it uh, on group show. That's a, I think there's... Uh, series that I kind of split between Ethereum and Solana was the, the first work that I made on Solana. I'm just looking for where am I? I did actually prepare for this interview and I had everything outlaid on different tabs on my computer. <laughs> and then I did something. No. I did something and I just closed down all of uh, my browser and then I had to. <laughs> and then my microphone uh, didn't work on my phone. And yeah. Uh, so where am I? Yeah. So. Uh, with Untitled, uh, with the group show, a lot of the works are called Untitled This and Untitled These Dates. They're, they're very specific, specific um, where I got these titles from, is that I was listening to a, um, a podcast uh, about um, art fraud. And uh, it's like a 10-part series. And it's really amazing. It was about this, uh, this gallery called the Nodler Gallery. And I um, uh, imagine a lot of people have seen it. I think there's also a documentary on... Uh, um, on Netflix, but I'd really recommend to listen to the uh, the podcast. I think it's called literally Art Fraud, and um, and it was just like a, this this small Mexican lady um, introduced herself to this um, this the head of the, the, uh, this gallery, the Nodler Gallery, which is like one of the longest private gallery uh, uh, longest running private galleries in New York, uh, with no um, with no connection to anyone, and convinced this uh, this lady. Uh, who's running the place to buy some work from um, from this abstract expressionist, and it was supposed to be like it was found. She said, "Well, I'm wor I'm, I'm, I'm working on behalf of someone else," and um, this work was like uh, they died. Someone died, and all this work was found in the attic, and it's these lost works from these abstract artists. And um, the whole story unfolds was basically um, was that she was her and her partner uh, were running this. Uh, uh, scheme where they, they had this artist who was making this work her partner would uh, make it look old through like uh, certain types of uh, aging methods and then she would bring the work to the gallery and the gallerist um, would um, uh, sell it to like her, um, her body of collectors and the list of all of these works that are from um, uh, from group show they're all named after uh, fraudulent works like counterfeit works that that were sold by the nola gallery basically and uh oh, that's, 
fascinating. That's bold. That's a bold choice to do. Yeah, I mean, the, the reason why, like, there's a couple of reasons. I mean, like, one is like uh, the idea of, um, you know, of like provenance. You know, with the blockchain, you have these. Like, one says, well, now you can tell it goes from here to there to there to there. And in the in the traditional art market, you know, provenance is like based. Uh, uh, through like word of mouth, but also things can be proven. But there's a lot of I trust that person. That trust I trust that person. I trust this institution that they've done this, you know. So it's basically built. Everything's built on trust. So if there's an invasion in some sort of way into that trust, you can actually screw over a lot of people, you know. So I just love this idea that like uh, there's this this whole kind of this web of trust, and then somehow. Um, these fake works that people have in their houses and they appreciate. And they say, well, this is this beautiful piece by uh, Motherwell or Rothko or Pollock. And it's just like made by some random person who, <laughs> who made it in their garage, you know? So I, I kind of, so I put that in the work as, as a kind of nod to that, but also a kind of way of uh, connecting myself again to like this, um, to art history, you know, to say at one stage to say, you know, because I'm making abstract art and, the abstract expressionist movement was many years ago. What is it like? A, like seventy years ago now, and um, a lot of us in the, in this space we call oh, like we say, "Oh, this abstract expressionist work," and then we we start talking about Pollock and um, and Rothko and and uh, these different abstract expressionists. But we we talk about it as if like there's no nothing happened in between that time, you know. So it's kind of yeah. it's kind of a little bit of way of me saying like, yeah, like. Am I also a fraud that I'm connecting in the sense to this big movement? You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah completely. Yeah. So so like, it, it holds many kind of questions in my head, which is <laughs> which is something you were talking about before about like I hope you get to answers. Kind of what I want to do is to ask more questions, you know? <laughs> uh, which is something that I picked up on because a lot of what you do is almost intentionally, you know making you ask questions, making you research, making you dig deeper and seeing what your references are because a lot of what you do almost points the finger to something else and it shows how studious you've been on what you do, the history of what you do, just as much as, you know, it was fascinating to hear you speak a little bit earlier talking about the sequencing that you have with your color palette. I did not pick up on that. I know that you talk a lot about, you know, the action happens on the edges, mm-hmm. but they now made the connection of it being almost a sequence. So in a way, you know, you're creating a larger narrative throughout your body of work. And that to me is really impressive. Yeah. You know, I, but I, I think I get these ideas also from, um, uh, from, from nature, you know, like the way that, uh, like you have like just this, these primitives, these things, that go into other things and then go into other things and they become more and more complex and more and more complicated, you know, the way that, you know, like um, atoms go into minerals and minerals go into, um, that make up cells and all these things, you know, then then you have animals walking around and plants and all that kind of crazy stuff. When you look back at it, you know, it all comes from these very simple elements and, and you can't really, you can't really just cut off at one point and say, this is when that thing went to that thing, you know? And when I'm looking at my art, I like the idea of, because one thing is coming from the other thing, coming from the other thing, you know, that there is a kind of analog of evolution. You know, it's not just that I'm just leaving everything behind in one go. I'm actually uh, trying to 
create these like yeah as i said when i said um that i started from the beginning i i think that there's a through line from maybe uh what i'm doing now with my um uh painting work from like around 2012 2014 to now literally in the sense of an actually evolving life form you know in some sort of way yeah and I can see that. I can see that through your work. And I think that's also something that really comes up in the article that you wrote, an emergent aesthetic of abstract complexity. You know, there's a lot of points that you made in that article that you kind of hint at right now. You know, it's the conversation of, you know, that history and your fascination with cosmic history. Talk to me about that and how it's influenced you, your way of thinking, your way of approaching your work. Hmm. Yeah, uh, I'll have to read that article again. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, uh, <laughs> with this work, well, like it was actually um, something I wrote in kind of in conjunction with um, like a group of works that I, I made last year in the summer. Uh, Neon. Uh, oh God, I've forgotten the name. Um, <laughs> ne 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 neon, neon techno optimism. Yeah, which is. It's neon techno optimism is kind of like a little joke I was having with a, a artist friend of mine who's also um, uh, been on the blockchain. I've met him through the uh, uh, Crash Blossom, and we we're it was like a title I had in my head um, because it's got a little bit, you know, like when we're all together and we're talking about like all the great things that are going to come along, you know, how uh, crypto is doing this and blah blah, blah and, and this is the future, and I like this idea of neon techno. Techno optimism has been like a, a comment on uh, on how, in a way, two dimensional that is, and it's kind of like two dimensionally optimistic in a sense. But um, yeah, with the the work themselves, and uh, with that essay, uh, I always had this trouble, like uh, yeah, imagining how how things work when someone would talk about these like massive events that would happen, you know, like in the past or or um, or these, these, yeah, these cosmological events, you know, like black holes, and and people would always uh, describe them in a sense of, well, if you were next to a black hole, this is what would happen to you, you know, and they would always describe it as as if you'd somehow be alive in all of this thing that you would experience, you know, and I never really understood, like I could never really make the um, the connection between the way that my reality is right now and how I could be in that situation. And it kind of made me not be able to really um, fully grasp the things they were talking about. I and completely, because it's something that's so vast. That's yeah, you know, it's outside of what we experience. Yeah. It's unfathomable. Yeah, we cannot physically imagine it. And it brings up a very important conversation that you started that article with, being you know, the conversation of scale mm -hmm, exactly, and how that abstract and figurative art. Talk to me about that because that yeah. distinction to me is really, really important. Yeah, well, the idea is, well, with that, like, um, it, going back to the idea of scale, well, well, as soon as I took myself out of the this ridiculous um, picture of me experiencing the black hole, you know, I thought, well, actually, there's something I could never experience. It's something that happens which is much larger. Like, these, these events are happening in a way that have no bearing on the, the, the life you lead on the Earth, you know? Uh, the, the reality is very different. And as soon as I started looking at the cosmological scale, I could actually start to picture things in like, I could picture time and, and the way that um, 
galaxies were formed and the way that the universe evolves in a very simple and beautiful and elegant way, not involving my ego, you know? <laughs> and, um, and when you start to look, when you get away from the idea of, of scale, when you're looking at, um, sorry, when you get rid of the idea of the scale of the human, when you're looking at these things, uh, the galactic scale becomes infinitely large and infinitely small at the same time, you know, and like you have like, um, like things like fractals and uh, that, you know, things repeat, you know, when you look, suppose you, if you look at the small rock and it can actually, it's like composed in a similar way that like a mountain is. And there's many of these like a uh, kind of things in, in nature, which kind of repeat themselves in the small and larger scale and the massive scale. And in that respect, like, can we, can you actually tap into that with your art? Like what, what, what is, what, what becomes uh, an abstract piece? It's not, I'm not trying to abstract a thing that exists, as I say, with a dog or something. I'm not trying to say, well, this is an abstraction of the things that I can uh, physically see. I'm trying to make like, uh, how would you say, like primitive elements. You know what I mean by primitive elements? Like, a, you know, like a, say primitives in 3D would be like a, a square, um, a triangle and a circle. You know what I mean? And those things make right. up something. So like the elemental ideas, and when we actually, when they have a relationship with each other, they're going to create something which is abstract to, to, um, to your sensibilities, but they can actually tell their own stories and have their own histories independent of having to translate it into something you understand, which is probably about as simple as I could put it because I still can't, uh, I'm not very good at talking about stuff. <laughs> no. Do you get to the root of what you're trying to do with this? Because it's very, very true. When you look at the universe, that's that's the entire basis for, you know, the theory of the holographic universe is having a universe that's fractalized, that reflects as above, so below at all scales, you see the same blueprint. And whether you're talking microscopic or all the way up to the cosmic level, things look similar because it's almost like, a to scale reflection of each layer. And that's an important conversation to talk to you about because I think this really underpins what your artistry reflects, you know? I think, for example, the concept of 333 compositions and action on the edges, that to me is something that's almost key to really understand how you approach art, how you view your work in particular. Talk to me about these two different elements and how do they um run that by me again action on the edges and 333 yes sir how do you mean by 333 like oh that was something i that i read in in your article the the 333 compositions oh um aha uh-huh. <laughs> i've just got the, article. <laughs> got the article right here i read it a year ago man give me a break <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I tend to dive a little ah, oh, yes, yes. Okay, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, because with this work, um, well, there's another thing that was going into this work as well. Like, it was actually um, in the same way that I was thinking about, like, uh, I was kind of looking at my work in the um, geometrical, cosmological scale. It's also uh, kind of digesting the, the influx of a lot of um, AI art. And I started to question myself, well, what does something look like when it is, it, it's not... Um, what does something look like when I'm not using my sensibilities as a human, you know? Like, 
how uh, like how how can you look at something which can be as disjointed as possible but actually seem very connected you know because i imagine that like when we talk about like with artificial intelligence like um a lot of things we're doing right now have not really anything to do with um the ideas of artificial like general artificial intelligence uh because when when that actually happens the things that will be happening will be so alien to us you know that um, we can't really imagine them in certain ways, you know? Uh, and what I mean by that is that if, if two artificial intelligence are talking to each other, they're not going to be speaking English or Spanish uh, for very long, you know? They're going <laughs> to they're gonna develop their own language very quickly and we want, it would be like opaque to us. And this was, right. this was something I was thinking about with this work was, uh, you know, these ideas of scale, but also like how can I make something which is opaque to myself uh, and enigmatic, but has that still has some sort of sense to myself. So the three, three, three rhythm was that actually not a lot is actually going on. There's no, there's no real protagonist in the in the the middle of something. There's not the action isn't coming from inside and going out. Everything is kind of happening around you. You know, like if you look to the edges of uh, um, say um, La Capocie video amateur, um, yeah all of the, the the major kind of action is actually happening just on the edge of the, the work. And it, it's, just, it's also this idea of like reading, you know, like everything that's kind of, how would you say, when we're reading something and and it's to the edges, then you have to scan. And when you have to scan, uh, then you're taking in everything in a sense of like, you're, you're being driven to one place to, to the next with your eyes. And... Um, how would you say? And there's there's not really a focus, you know. And that that has going back to the scale idea, like there isn't a focus on a on a on a on an individual thing of a of a tree or a city or 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 a relationship between two figures. Everything is like bigger, and you have to move across it to be able to take everything in. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Almost a metaphor for life too. Everything happens on the edges. You're always going to be the, the center point of how you experience life, but everything happens around you. And that's that's a really beautiful kind of way of thinking, you know. You mentioned languages. Language is one of those things that has really sparked interest in me from your work because you use a lot of different languages in your descriptions. Why do you do that in particular? Are you just <laughs> simply fluent in multiple languages or is it something that's, I don't know, maybe trying to stay true to the origin of what you're trying to say? Um, well, it's a couple of things, you know. The, the first thing I would say is that I don't really want to say that I'm not fluent in all those languages because then it'll kind of give away that I'm not. <laughs> you know? so, I mean, like, uh, I'm kind of semi-fluent in German and, uh, um, and obviously in English, but everything else, like, yeah. Like, what I do with the language, um, title and work, it is, again, like, I like to also try and misdirect with titles, you know. Like, um, how would you say? Like, I want to infuse another thing that's happening, if you know what I mean. And it might not be to do with the work. It might be to do with the work. With, uh, with that series, a lot of uh, the reason why I used French um, for that title was because of a French designer who was making, um, it's a French architect who was making uh, Brutalist Buildings, which was one of the, the influences uh, also with the work, like this idea of like uh, brutalism, which I find a very um, 
very bizarre and like it's the kind of architecture that humans don't have to exist in which was the connection with this idea of of uh, an alien like a bigger scale you know so i so i so i I used like his native language to uh yeah to to hint at like uh, his nationality in a way and but it was also at the same time you know i grew up i was like uh you you grew up and like one of the the stars of uh of your artistic learning is like Picasso, you know, um, this, uh, this Spanish guy who, um, what was he from Barcelona? It's Catalan. And he goes to Paris and like, uh, there's a massive chunk of art history, like massive turning point around the time also with Cezanne and, uh, the impressionist, but uh, like Paris was the base of like the modern art movement. You know, someone's probably going to tell me I'm wrong, but, uh, <laughs> you know, but uh, everything like the center was around there. So when I use French, I'm kind of, um, putting a little kind of like cross eye or glaring eye over to that, like a little nod. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A nod to, to that. To where it started. Yeah. To, to, to make uh, to in a way to like, uh, yeah, to, to just make a nod to that, you know, in the same way that maybe, uh, um, you know, you listen to a hip hop song, like right now, like I was listening to something and there was like nods to even like going back to like, like KRS one or something, you know? You know what I mean? You know what I mean? You're kind of you're saying you're in the family. You know, you're saying that this Pretty is this is my history. Like yeah. The medium. Yeah, and I think that's really. Um, you mentioned brutalism. Are you familiar with the work of Edward Newman, a photographer here in the space? I think I just bought one of his pieces the other day. I, I listened to him on um, on uh, was it was he on Soul City Radio? He was on uh, Exchange Art uh, Space, and I, I listened to him. He's an English guy, right? He's London. I know maybe he's from yeah. Reading. And um, and I was listening to him, and I was like, oh, "I'm gonna have a look at his work." And I saw that piece. I was like, "Yeah, I'll get that one." Yeah, it's like one of his editions. Right. Yeah, that's on the, <laughs> the Barbican Center. I think a lot of those photographs were taken. And yeah, I, I went there when I was younger. Like, I'm, I was mostly brought up in London. I went to the Barbican Center okay. a few times. Yeah. Yeah. When I when you had some brutalist inspiration, it definitely brought up his name, and of course, being from London, you know that that connection was made very easy. But if we transition a little bit over from you know, I think we touched on a lot of the things that are basic and very essential to kind of understand about you so that we can understand your work. And now I kind of want to start getting into the work itself, you know, because your artistry is particularly interesting, particularly intricate, complex even. And let's dive into how you got into Web3. Let's talk a little bit about Group Show and a couple of the other series that you have, like the one with uh, who's now in the listener, Lee San. Um, so let's dive in, you know. Talk to me about how you jumped into Web3, and then we'll we'll kick it off from there. Um, yeah, sure, man. Like, so I, I think maybe uh, a few years ago, anyway, like uh, I was feeling uh, I'd lost my studio and uh, I was feeling pretty down on myself. And um, uh, somehow I ended up like uh, going around town, like buying, I didn't have, I had this really, really old laptop. It was ancient. And I was like, I really need to get a um, computer. I don't have a lot of money, very skint. I'm going to go around town. I'm going to look on like eBay Kleinanzeigen, which is like eBay small ads. I'm going to go right from the beginning of this story. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I just went around town and I was picking up little pieces. I learned on on YouTube on like how to make a um, build a computer. And I went around town just like buying the cheapest components I could together to make a computer. And then I, I, I managed to do that. I put Linux on it and I um I downloaded Critter and Blender. 
and I started to learn a lot of like uh, 3D is something I always wanted to do and I was really impressed by like what I'd seen with Blender about like when I was a lot younger like using a 3D program was just like uh, it was like pulling your your fingernails out you know it was like just tortuous like a laborious process and and then I, I realized these days yeah you can just there's so much you can do digitally so I built this computer and I started to learn Blender and then I started to make these things and I was talking to my artist friend. I'm going to give him a name check now because he always give me a name check. It's uh, someone I used to, I had very, I've had like a very long artistic history. We've made a lot of collaborations. His name is uh, Anders Screamin Meisner, a Danish artist. And uh, we were talking about well, just everything. And I was saying, yeah, I'm making these 3D objects. There, and I want to, um, I want to somehow like, like, yeah. I don't know, make them into, to have some sort of like a, 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 not scarcity, but for it to be like a thing, you know? And he was saying, well, why don't you just print them out? And I said, well, actually, I'm not, I'm not going to start printing out like a hundred of these things in plastic. I think it's just ridiculous, especially with like the whole idea of actually we should not be using so much plastic <laughs> nowadays. I don't want to, to, to bring on to this kind of mess. I like the idea that, it, that it's like digitally native. And I was looking at these things like Ethereum, Bitcoin. I was like, well, wouldn't it be great actually if you could use the blockchain to uh, put your work on it and somehow, and I, um, yeah, somehow kind of categorize your work in that way? And then I said, well, I'm not going to, because this is how dumb I am. I said, I've got to find someone to build a blockchain for me <laughs> so I can do this, you know? So I thought it would be something which you could actually, not really like a decentralized blockchain. I thought it was something you could do like a centralized idea. You know, and I and I never really I I had a, some personal issues that I had, um, and I, I kind of went away from it for a little bit because, but I never really um, like researched NFTs or any of that kind of thing, and I was just there one day minding my own business, and then like uh, yeah, in, in twenty twenty one, beginning of it, and you just start seeing it popping up everywhere, and I was like, oh my god, like I can't believe I missed this thing that's happening, you know, and I was thinking, how did I not even know about it? It's something which I feel that. Um, I could really, uh, yeah, connect with it's something which like seems to I've been crying out for for a long time. It's like a need of from my work, yeah. And and it's something which actually even from back in like two thousand and like uh, eight two thousand uh, to two thousand twelve, um, I was making a lot of digital digital work with uh, Anders as well. We were making a lot of digital collages then, and uh, and the only thing we could do was to print them out, and it just seemed like such a weird thing it's like well you're making this thing which is digitally native and then you print it out like what, what like how can this thing like live like it shouldn't have to be in a gallery and shown for it to actually have substance you know but if it does if it's not in a gallery and shown if it's not printed out like if it's not shown on a big screen in the gallery then it's just on your computer just doing nothing or on a hard disk and it doesn't really feel like it has a place in the in the universe and uh yeah, when I when I found out about blockchain, I just like had this feeling like about the NFTs. So I had this feeling. I got so excited. I was like, "This is a thing that I can, uh, I can go into, and I can actually work out a lot of things I had in my head." And it wasn't really about like, "Oh yeah, I want to be a millionaire or anything." It was like, "Yeah, well, this is, uh, it's just such a perfect idea, you know." And when I think about um, the blockchain idea, it's kind of like a. It's like a GPS, you know, for digital work. You know, the way that the the, the world is like mapped out by um, by satellites, and you can go. You can, there's a coordinate for every single place on Earth, like away from the the street signs and whatnot. 
That's uh, really interesting. And this is the way I see the blockchain with, with my art, that there's now a landscape, there's a digital landscape, which is, um, which is basically um, being coordinated uh, like a GPS through the blockchain, you know? So it's kind of like... Are these the sculptures that you ended up minting on Tessels? Um, yeah, some of them. Actually, some of them I ended up minting on a, um, on a, a Polygon. On a really cool, really cool little kind of uh, um, startup uh, platform, which I don't think is ever been used, called Screensaver World. It was actually a really fun place. And I've got a lot of sculptures there, which are, I don't know if I'll ever see the light of day again. Um, but yeah, but so then I sort of when I went into it, and then like and then I saw like ETH. Yeah, let's like ETH seems to be the place that you do everything. Let's try and I mean something. Oh, I'm really poor, um, and it's like cost two hundred euros to mint something and i was like well i don't have that money i was i was speaking to my friend uh, um and i was like maybe you can invest in me yeah so i can fucking excuse my language so i can mint on this blockchain because it's something i really want to do and we were talking about it for a while and i was like no this is just crazy like i can't i can't just like randomly like spend money on this thing and then i i, I was watching this video on this guy called Knowles. he's a mexican uh, um photographer uh based in south korea he does this really amazing beautiful uh kind of um yeah uh i, I don't know anime like uh manga kind of style photographs of like uh the street uh, they're just really wonderful and um and he was saying like oh yeah he's he was kind of going through his journey on um on uh, making nfts and with his photography and then he was talking about hikek nunk which was uh uh, had just started, I think, maybe just officially opened in March, but I think it was going from maybe January and February. And th this was around like um, beginning of, well, maybe it was like beginning of April, like halfway through April. And I couldn't work out how to use the, the platform. You know, <laughs> I was there and I thought, is this like, and I literally said to myself, is this a piece of conceptual art? Yeah. that Because I go there and I can't find what I'm supposed to do with anything. You know, and I'd made a wallet, I'd done all these things and I couldn't work out what was going on. And then so I left it for a couple of weeks and I eventually went back there again. I was like, okay, don't be stupid. You try it out. And, uh, and then I just started this amazing like journey and just met all these amazing people on the uh, Tezos back then. Uh, they had this uh, thing called the Hackathon, which is like a, a hackathon for that site in May. And, um, and I was part of a team and we, and uh, who ended up bringing out uh, the first um, collab contracts on, on Tezos. This, this amazing guys uh, as K-Torn and Zeppler and uh, Zeppler's is like uh, and, and Stevie Zeppler's this amazing um, coder and he just made this like uh, proxy uh, collab contract which still exists now and uh, yeah so I was just really into it actually and I ended up getting more into the community of it than I actually was with my art in a weird way and I kind of got lost in like uh, in the kind of day-to-dayness of it and it was it was an amazing experience and it felt like, it felt like a, like a, I don't know. I did a lot of reading with um, like the late seventies and the early eighties with Jean-Michel Basquiat and the downtown 500, like Fab Five Freddy and, um, and uh, Future Armor and all these guys um, just kind of knowing each other and hanging out. And it really had that kind of vibe that like, Oh, all these artists are just starting out now. And they like, some of them are going to, you know, a few years down the line, people will be looking back and it's going, Oh, this is where something happened, you know? I really had that really amazing energy. Um, 
but then I kind of got got a bit disenchanted by like um the whole edition promotion blah 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 Twitter thing, and I was like I just want to be go back to like my art and really concentrate on just forgetting about the the whole noise and having to promote like editions going for like edition 25 and trying to get that last one sold and it just seems so counterintuitive like nothing to do with like the feeling that I had at the beginning you know and uh, uh, and I was going to these events um, in Berlin called uh, uh, Club NFT Berlin uh, one of the early founders was uh, Dr. Revel actually and a few others Francesca who's uh, 3D Fraction and uh, Chris and uh, I don't know his last name but he's he's a prominent Solana guy and I was in one of the meetings and um, where like uh, one of the early meetings like there's about maybe with seven or eight of us uh, talking about where what direction we want the uh, the club to go in you know there'd already been a few events and like there's a lot of organization and it's like what, what, what can happen next and uh, it was a great meeting, but what actually happened on the way leaving that meeting, I was talking to uh, Chris and Henry, and Chris was basically saying, why don't you try out Solana? And I said to him, well, well isn't that just like a place where people just like uh, like make buy and sell loads of PFPs? That's all I remember it for. It was just like constant PFP market, just like just crazy, like bigger than Ether at that time, it felt like. And... um He's like, no, there's there's a, there's a couple of art platforms. There's uh, there's Exchange Art and there's a form function, which had just started, I think. So this is like last year in March. And um, he said, well, just try it out. Um, I said, yeah, okay, maybe. You know, like we had this, he was a very good salesman. I was just chatting to him about it, you know. And I got home and I thought about it. I said, you know what, like one of my, one of the things I promised myself when I actually started to, um, to get into kind of the ecosystem was to just try out as many things as possible and to make as many small mistakes as possible so I could get an instinct about uh, how I felt about everything. And if I make a lot of small decisions and try to have the, um, uh, trying to have the idea that these interactions and these, uh, these decisions are genuine and I, and it seems like the right thing to do at the time in terms of like morally and also for myself and instinctually, then eventually I make a lot of mistakes, but something good will come out of it in the end. Either I learn something or, or like it brings me into a new place, you know? So I, 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 I DM'd Chris and I said, Oh yeah, well, um, okay. Like let's, let's try this out. Uh, uh, send me some links. So like, uh, send me like, uh, the links to the wallets for Solana and, and, and the platforms and everything. So he sent me the form function platform. And then I, I had some work uh, that I was just about to um, mint on Ethereum. And I said, okay, well, I had a few of these works. This was uh, with the group show. I said, well, why don't I just try it out? Like, put one there. And it was actually a moment where I actually breathed out. Like, um, because I was like, I'm just going to put this, like, a, a one soul um, on a reserve. And I can just forget about it. My idea is that I'm just going to slowly make work at my own pace. I'm not going to get involved in like any of the stupidness of like promoting my work in this kind of day-to-day grind thing. I'm just going to get back to just really only giving a shit about my art and not caring about the noise. You know, like I hate this whole branding thing and you're supposed to be this and all this kind of crap. And I just wanted to just bring it back to the basics because in the end, Web3 is there for you to... Uh, to be emancipated from something, not to put yourself into a new prison, 
you know what I mean? And uh, and then that then this new story happened, you know. And here I am talking to you, I guess. Yeah. And then look, look at you, uh, almost a year and a half later, and you have group show as a curated series on exchange. Which congratulations, that's no small feat. Let's talk a little bit about this series in particular. You know, talk to me about the descriptions. Talk to me about the the meanings of the years you mentioned earlier that it was related to this podcast but there's a lot of references that i see throughout the series you know there's references to the old loa in rome you know romulus and remus story i see references to you know star tetrahedron which is a very interesting conversation in and of itself you know you have a poem for untitled 1947 where it's two completely distinct narratives, and if you add the actual painting, it's three because it's completely, mm. you know, there's some multiplicity of meaning to yeah. it. Then Spanish elegy, and that to me really shows off that studiousness by connecting it to, uh, I forget the name of this painter. Um, it's Motherwell, isn't it? Robert. Robert. Yes, <laughs> yes. I was gonna ask you if that was intentional. If that was just me picking up on. Yeah, but I mean, really but, but going back to it, like, uh, yeah, I mean, all of these are they're all um, with with group show. Literally, I stopped making group show when I ran out of titles uh, that were sold, like or fakes. So that's the that's the title of a fake that I was sent. It could also be the title of one of his. Uh, real paintings, but like that was one of the ones that there's this whole list of paintings that were sold as fakes. But but yeah, but going back to like this idea of like multiplicity, multiplicity of meaning, that is definitely something which uh, I'm trying to achieve. You know, like I, I think that like kind of is one of the things when people say is the blockchain or NFTs a medium, and I've tried to in my own way use it in that sense. You know, because when you see a painting hanging on the wall, like you, it's like you look at the title sometimes that description like they can say things but actually i'm usually not very interested in reading these things i want to see what the, the work does but at the same time when i'm looking at an nft and if i just usually see that uh, the size of the thing and the medium and how it was made i don't care about the information either because a lot of that stuff i can either talk to the artist about or i can like look at the metadata or like the size and all that kind of stuff i thought well actually that's just a, a another layer of uh, of meaning that you can add to this thing or or misdirection and it is i i look at it as a kind of like a, a three a three-pronged thing like a moving maybe together and away from each other at the same time that all, all these three things the title the the image and the description are very much uh telling their own story and sometimes as i said it's a misdirection sometimes it's uh, um I don't think it's never really describing anything that's happening in the the, the visual work, and a lot. Really and with Spanish energy, it's actually like I had a lot of um, sketchbooks where I just write a lot of just really small moments, like really like small poems, you know, like a that. How can you use them in any other um, aspect? You know, they're not these like four verse poems or anything. They're just little moments that I have, and when you look through someone's sketchbook it's very interesting, but they, they become, they become like a, you, you know, you turn the page and it's gone, you know, 
So I thought this idea of like, how about I just have a look for all these, like the things that still spark to me and I actually just incorporate them into my, my work as a kind of parallel process and see where that goes. And it's gone into some places and it's gone into like uh, something that evolves sometimes. Um, I think, oh, what series is there now? Uh, with um, uh, another series, I can't remember which one it is, I'm trying to look. Um, I started to actually, you, I think it's in Starter. I started to take uh, older poems and then I would run them through like some uh, um, uh, uh, artificial intelligence, random uh, like, uh, language programs. And they would spit out like the next verse of, of the poem that I made. And then I would um, get those pieces and I would say, well, actually, is that interesting? And I would take that, you know, the, um, uh, the writer, uh, Christ, what was his name? The guy who did Junkie and Naked Lunch? William Burroughs. Uh, William Burroughs would uh, take a lot of his um, uh, like newspaper clippings, but also his his writings, and and he would mix them all up, and then he would make sentences out of them. And uh, and it was kind of like this autom automatic writing idea, like uh, and, and you kind of at one one way you you destroy the meaning of the original thing, but then you create new meaning uh, through the um, arbitrary uh, connection with, between the words afterwards. And I kind of wanted to do that with my work and with the AI uh, interpretation of my work, but then also uh, reprocess it into, uh, for, for me to give it meaning rather than there to be an arbitrary meaning. So I gave it a new arbitrary meaning, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, so that- yeah. stands out to me. Pardon me, the interruption. That's something that really fascinates me because you're doing a lot of things where deconstruction and reconstruction are important parts of the process. And I don't think I've ever come across someone that does it quite in your way. You know, for example, we talk about poetry playing a part. I, I do poetry and poetry is a big part of what I do, but I don't do it in a way that you do it. You mentioned sometimes it doesn't necessarily have to have a direct connection. It's more of a part of a process versus for me, I think, the way that I approach poetry as it relates to my photography is, you know, it misleads you, but at the same time, it directs you because mm -hmm. it could have a meaning that's not at any point whatsoever connected to the original moment of the image. But at the same time, the poetry can guide a new meaning for that moment. And so it's really interesting the way that you kind of approach that process. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think I was talking to um, another artist um, from the, I was giving the mentor, Evelyn, his name is, uh, he works with AI, he does some really cool work actually, like um, collaging AI and making new things out of it. Uh, and also, no, it was actually a conversation with another artist who was talking about uh, things that he was making. Um, but I mentioned him anyway, because he was cool. Uh, and he was saying that uh, he was making his work in the same way, kind of in a connection, like the, the uh, descriptions would be to uh, give a kind of a direction to the abstract nature of uh, what he was making. But for me, um, I, I, if, if I give, if I present something to you, yeah, and the idea is I present something to you and I want you to have um, uh, a real, uh, I don't know if the emotional connection would be the right word, but but a genuine like uh, moment of relationship or connection with that work, I don't want to be getting in the way of how you interpret what's going on, you know. So I want to make work which uh, has a lot of catalysts, 
for you to to um find some sort of uh some sort of meaningfulness rather than me actually getting in the way of that and one of the things maybe with the idea of construction deconstruction is the um the idea that the artist should get out of the way of themselves you know that that we should be at the same sense of um uh, the viewer the observer and the, the the critic and not just someone who who feels like they're supposed to be sending something out into the world you know i think when you make something you should send something out and then you should be the receiver first before it gets sent out again you know and and that's kind of what i want to do with this this three-pronged idea is that and also in the same way that like everything has like a multiple like multiple meanings you know like that's what life is like uh, you know like when you're younger you're, you're so sure about certain things you know but like the older you get the more questions you ask you know like you know, there's many different quotes, you know, for like when you say like uh, how you can find out the, the stupidest person in the room is because they're the ones who are the most sure of themselves, you know? Uh, that's probably yeah. not even a quote. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, <I'm good> <laughs> yeah. So next time you see me in the room being so sure of myself, yeah, I'm the dumbest person in the room. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, but this, like, like, I like the idea, like, of, of I, don't know, I don't know how to say it, yeah. Of the idea of um, of the connection that you make when you look at when you're experiencing something right. um, has to be has to be uh, has to be a, a catalyst to something. Yeah, right. To put it into, and I think it really speaks to you know the fact that you don't want to be the interpreter of the experience for anybody. You want to set it up to where you have a lot of ways that you could potentially interpret it or create a relationship with your art. But you don't want to be the one saying this is what it means. I want you to engage with it and tell me what you see in it. Yeah, I mean, um, I don't want to be the arbitrator of of the way you interpret something. You know, uh, I don't want to be the one who's like saying this is how you should interpret. I think that's very childish in a sense. You know, to say, well, I'm right. making and something and putting it into the world, and this is how you should. Well, what is the benefit for anyone for that? You know, should we, you, you give, give someone an award like for? <laughs> Saying, oh, yeah, I, I get what you did. If something becomes one way that you can interpret something, then you're making a joke with a punchline, you know? And if you're making a joke with a punchline, you listen to it twice, and then I'm ranting now. <laughs> but if you listen to it <laughs> twice, then it's, it's not funny anymore, is it, you know? But if, right. but you can... That's why you don't read much stand-ups. <laughs> yeah, but great stand-ups also tell great stories, you know? And sometimes you don't know why you find it funny or intriguing. Sometimes you're just along for the ride, you know? And uh, there's there's meaningfulness like that. That's it. Like I, as an artist myself, because there's there's many different ways you can create art. I'm not saying this is the only way you should do something. But when I'm talking about being an artist, I'm going to talk about the way that I interpret it for myself. You know, um, but yeah, like the whole like the relationship you have with your work, you're basically you're generating like a complexity, like a uh, which becomes symptom and catalyst, uh, ca capitalist, uh, catalyst, <laughs> and um, and the, the 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 freer that someone is to be able to interpret your work, so to whatever means, yeah. I if it if it gets something, if it gets them to think about something that they didn't think about before, if it gets them into that space, you know, when I stand in front of a painting. And the best paintings, I'm, I'm just, I just dream off and I'm like thinking about all these things, they're sparking, my brain is sparking, all these different things are happening, you know? 
that's when I know that something beautiful is happening. You know, I know that I've been kind of trapped in a sense in this, in this space where I'm able to uh, run around in, you know, and explore. Yeah. And I love that. I think that's, that's something that I try to do myself in a completely different manner is encourage thought, you know, because I think at the end of the day, what you're trying to do with art is communicate and being able to set up communication, whether that's for someone internally or more in a conversational tone. And I think that connects to your collaboration with Lee San Hack, you know, screenshot from 2022, because this opens up a conversation of how in a way I see you and Lee San parallel your approach to technology as a tool for creative expression. You know, you've both done uh, digital sculptures. You both try to connect digital and physical. And I see a lot of parallels there, but in particular, this collaboration series is unique because one, it takes you out of your color palette, which was very interesting. And I definitely want to hear how difficult that was for you. I also see very clear elements of both of your identities. Like nobody in this collaboration can say, or at least from my point of view, that their identity and what marks their artistry isn't clearly present. Because I see a lot of, you know, Lisanne's gestural movements, but I see a lot of your line work. I see a lot of the way that you lay texture in this collaboration. Talk to me about how this came about, you know, how did the process go? How was the back and forth? How did you end up with this final product? Um, cool. Uh, well, firstly, I'll talk about uh, going back to uh, titles um, and being self-referential and misdirecting. Uh, we we agreed that the titles, because uh, Lisanne was saying that she has trouble making titles and we we're joking about it. And um, we, we basically agreed that, like, let's just um, name them after the uh, uh, the, the work in progress uh, file titles that we were that were basically in our computers, you know. So they have these really weird kind of uh, uh, titles, but they're actually just based on the idea that, like, yeah, and that is kind of describing for me anyway. That's describing our work in progress, uh, our work, our collaboration. You know what I mean? It's kind of does that make sense? The fact that the titles are called like the titles are taken from. The work in progress is kind of a mirror of the co the collaboration, the working process. Yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> trying to wrap my head around the crap that I'm talking about. Um, yeah, so uh, with the work, I I made a lot of collaborations going back to my um, uh, like a, my my good friend uh, Anders Scream Meisner. We made a lot. We we were in a band together. We made a lot of music together. We also we made um, Digital collaborations, we would make we'd make live drawings together. Um, like at one point, maybe I think it was like 2009, 2010, did a lot of like uh, events where we would make live drawings together. And someone, and we had this show, I think it was like 2011 uh, in, in Holland, South Holland. And uh, we're talking with this other artist and it was all the whole work was collaborations. And basically I would, with that work, I would send, um, he was living in Denmark at the time, I'd moved to Berlin. We were both living in Amsterdam beforehand. And I would be send. I would send him like uh, all these, uh, all of my pictures I would make, and he would construct them on his side. And then basically we'd have a back and forward for emails and 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 uh, WhatsApp and all this kind of thing, and we'd make this work. And 
it's, it was very natural to us at that time to do things and not to be like, oh, I don't like that you got rid of that thing or I don't like, you know, there, there was nothing to do with ego. And I remember we were talking with this other, like uh, this couple of artists and they were also collaborating. And the first thing he said to us was, how do you get past your, your egos when you're making the work? And we both looked at each other. We were like, what are you talking about? You know, <laughs> like, like the, the art is where the thing that's happening, like it's got nothing to do with like, um, that, like the preciousness of, of making sure that you are also represented in what, so I was thinking about that when, uh, me and uh, Lissam were making the collaboration together was the idea was like, um, less like, I'm just going to work with Lisanne in a way that like, yeah, I, I have the chance to be able to experience her work. You know what I mean? And I have the chance to be able to um, uh, understand in a, in a way, the way that she, she moves in her work, understand her gestures. And I wanted to, personally, I wanted to uh, really be involved in the way that, um, in, in the, the story that that tells me. You know, so it wasn't a question of me adding my work to to her work and then making something. It was actually more of like uh, she would send me these like base images. And um, and then we just said, literally said, like, oh, well, let's make a collaboration. Yeah, let's just like take it easy and and, and, and spend. Uh, there's no deadline. Let's just see how things speak to us, you know. And so there was just like she would like send me these images and I would work with um, like uh, some bits here and the bits there. And I would like kind of like try and feel the personality of what she had actually already made and try and move with that. And then I would, I would upload that to uh, the drive and then, and then she would work on it again. And then uh, there's a bit of back and forward like that. And so it was more, it was more of a, it was more of a kind of, uh, in the same way I said before, you know, about the way I, I, I approach my work. The way that I collaborated with Lisanne was more like I was collaborating with the way that I work with her work rather than trying to put my work with my ego of saying, this is my work and I want it to be shown in work. It was more of like I had the chance to be able to to um, not step in Lisanne's shoes as such, but to be able to like fully engross myself in the, 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 the nature of what she's doing. Does that make any sense? That was beautiful. It does. It's beautiful because it sounds organic. It sounds fluid. It sounds like there wasn't a plan going into it. It was experiential in a way. And I think it shows a lot of how you approach art. You know, you leave the ego at the door, you leave the baggage at the door. And it's about what does the feeling drive you to do? And that's really, really special. Yeah, but because sorry to interrupt you, but I would I would like to say that like uh but that's what's amazing about um Lestan as an artist as well, you know, is that you know, it was everything was so easy, you know, like uh it uh, she was she had exactly the same kind of mindset. It was like let's just like see like let's like you know a play, you know what I mean? Like let's just uh, see how something right. develops. And and that's a that's a very very like not for myself, but looking at the way that she approaches her work, it's like I think it's, she's got a very very uh, interesting like mind and and uh, and uh, relationship with her work. Yeah, it's, it's one of the one of the things I, I'd love to do is collaborations like over time when it makes sense. And I was very 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 um, 
uh, grateful that I got a chance to do it. And if she's listening right now, I, I think the next one is uh, we're going to do phase two soon. You know? <laughs> oh, well, oh. <laughs> yeah. But but also like okay. I'd also like to mention I I also made a um uh collaboration which never actually got minted yet because something was going to happen and that didn't happen with uh, uh Dana, she's an amazing amazing artist uh, and. And we had a similar approach there. Actually, I want to work more to like. I think we ended up having one or two pieces. I think like it would be cool to to like extend that a little bit. But oh, you're but, definitely gonna have to get artists on the DMs because I have not heard of Dana, but Lisanne, I'm very familiar with her work. And uh, actually, my next written interview is with Lisanne. So it's funny how how things played out <laughs> without planning it. Um, <laughs> that's cool. That's to me because. Personally, as a photographer, you know, collaboration is not something that's so commonly seen with photographers. It's very kind of complex to figure out how to collab mm-hmm. as a photographer to hear how fluid, how organic it was. You know, that's that's something that it's the the right kind of jealousy. It's like mm, I got envy that. <laughs> get, get out your paintbrushes. You know, that's what you want to do. <laughs> Um, uh, I'll just like to say Dana, her name is uh, Dana uh, Finego. She's uh, uh, she does really amazing work. She's also an exchange art on other platforms. Just just to oh, yeah. shout her out because I want to give uh, some people like more of a platform when I can, yeah. Of course, man. That's what this is for. It's to give platform and give voice to artists in the ecosystem. So absolutely. And I'll be looking forward to it, you know. Before we wrap up this conversation and move into, you know, your role as a mentor. I want to touch on how you see technology playing a part in your progress and your process in the future. Because it also has played a part so far, but knowing how much and how quickly things are changing and evolving, especially with AI, the rate that is advancing, how do you see that kind of playing a part in your development? Um, Well, what do I think about technology as a whole anyway you know like um the way i would say is that we're we're inside of we're inside of as humans in in the in like our capitalist consumer society we're inside technology you know we're inside epochs of technology and uh the reason why i guess screens and all that kind of thing like and and digital artwork uh, speaks to me and, and pixel artwork i love pixel artwork is because i was born into that culture you know what i mean there's a tv on then there's a computer then there's computer games and all these things and nowadays you know like talking about 3d programs and um and uh digital art programs and all these things that they're there you know so some people they consider themselves like pioneers in certain things because they use it but i say well actually everything is there right now to use so it's just a question of like uh how would you say when you're maybe when you're a kid and you have like uh uh like some wooden blocks to play with then you play with those wooden blocks but if you have more different shapes of wooden blocks then you're going to play with those as well you know <laughs> so uh, as an artist i like to play with as many things as i can like that are interesting you know and so i was making a lot of digital collage before and like um and i, I inc- in- incorporated my uh, 3d work into um, 2D aspects of my work and with the new series right now 
and maybe also with uh, the one before with uh, Starter, uh, I started off with um, making um, like physical uh, simulations and then making those into painting gestures, you know, and also like uh, with a few works that also um, deconstructed like a, a small AI prompted image that I made, you know, but it's not really so obvious in my work. I don't think to be able to pick these things out because it's not the objective for me to be saying, I am now working with AI. I'm now working with like something which is like glitched or now I'm working with something which is 3D. I like to use as many things as I can to, to explore and to, to become like a part of like a whole process, you know? So uh, whatever I don't know to use right now, I'm not going to know, but what, it, what I, what I see at my hands and I'm, I'm very, interested to use you know I, i've also i, I picked oh. myself up on a, a pico for a few months ago and actually uh um used it to like build like a, the base sketch for um going to like the the vca thing like um they they have really cool um uh, the residency but at the end of every residency there uh we make um an art show you know so like we, we build the 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 gallery space in arium and uh with the last one i I, yeah, I built like a, a lot of the sketching, the 3D sketching I did like uh, in virtual reality, you know, and then moved that into Blender and moved that. So it's it's just a, a fun and, and interesting to try new things is what I'm trying to say. So it's not... No, I love that. Yeah. I love that because you're willing to explore and you're willing to experiment with things that are not necessarily things that you're well-versed in, but you're willing to learn. And that to me is really impressive because... You know, the rate where things are going, seeing what you've done already, it's, I can see a future where, for example, you can walk into this metaverse gallery and watch one of your sculptures like come to life in front of you instead of just sitting on a hard drive. Yeah, it's funny you should say that because I'm actually working on a, a new um, show, like the, the new set of uh, paintings that I'm working on um, just today. And I'm looking at a screen of my uh, uh, my new metaverse gallery for it so i've been working on that for the last few weeks so, <laughs> so yeah but it's cool but, but going back to like the idea of like with web3 like one of the amazing things is like i'm literally there i'm making this work i'm talking to you like across the water are you in uh, costa rica is i'm actually in florida i'm from puerto rico oh, sorry um in florida. well you're in florida which is also very far away <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and um and you know like my, my grandfather he was uh born in uh barbados you know and and he took a, a boat to uh um, to uh to britain you know like uh to find his uh new life or whatever and when i look back in it it was just only like a, it was like it wasn't really that long ago but also it was but now like for me i'm living in in berlin like uh and and i'm talking to you in, in florida and uh and then, like with Web three, I'm making a, a digital gallery space for my new digital paintings. And for me, that just like that as a kid, if I look at myself as a kid looking at like that, you know, this idea of like the opportunity you you could have if if you're just like on a certain level of being able to survive and to be able to have these things, you know, like computers and the internet and whatever. If you have that, then you have like you can everything the whole world is at your fingertips which is just amazing 100 percent. and i think as we continue to evolve as a society i think 
the opportunities are going to be virtually limitless <laughs> as the rate of, you know, how technology is evolving is rapidly increasing. But you mentioned the BCA. You mentioned, you know, for those in the audience who might not know, Vertical Crypto Art and the VCA residency. Talk to me about how you got involved with the residency program. What is it? How have you become a mentor? And what exactly do you do in the program? Um, yeah, cool. So uh, first of all, there, there's like quite a few mentors now, which is great. So it's not like I'm not like some sort of like privileged, uh, like one of four mentors in the VCA. You know, there's there's quite a few of us, which is cool. And there's some amazing, amazing people. Basically, when I look at it, like... Uh, the list of the mentors there, I think if I could just speak to like all of those for five minutes a day, then I I would just be like so rich with like knowledge and information. It's crazy. Um, but yeah, so back in 2021, when going back to Higang Nunk, uh, like I, I would see uh, this thing popping up all the time, like a uh, vertical crypto art. And uh, it was uh, founded by this wonderful lady, uh, Mikola, who's Italian and her, her partner. Uh, Phil, and um, she used to make these videos of like uh, the picks for like she was be like oh today's curational picks you know and at first I think she was doing it she'd have like uh, like a projection screen she'd film it like projection screen she'd go through like four different works and she'd talk about each one or, or like uh, one of those old like um, uh, the old tube TVs or something you know they're really cool little videos and I really loved the idea that she was like like what you're doing yourself you know, expanding on uh, the culture of, of the scene, you know? And um, I was watching his videos, and then one of, one of the times I, I decided, like, uh, she was doing, like, an open curation, so I, I sent in, like, uh, four works, and I talked to, like, talked a bit about it, and then she actually presented it, and I was, like, so amazed. So I was following all the things she was doing. She did all these great interviews with people in the space, and then one day, I can't remember, what, what, maybe it was in July, June or July of 21, I saw that uh, she was starting up a residency and uh, did anyone want to apply for it? And, uh, and I thought, oh, yeah, of course, you know, it's, it's going to be a, um, it's a digital residency. And basically you have like, a, in, back then it was like, like one or two lessons a week and an AMA with an artist or someone in the space. Um, and then you could have like mentor sessions where you spend like an hour or so, like uh, you can choose them and like you can have like uh, voice calls with them. And at the end, after like, you know, you do like digital security, you do curation in the space, you know, uh, um, the history of uh, crypto art, all these different sorts of uh, uh, also like art critics, all these different kind of things that you might need starting out in like Web3 art space. And at the end, it, you kind of finish off with a celebration of um, uh a show in the uh, Metaverse Space Arium, which uh, the the residents that were working in that cohort uh, would make together in conjunction with uh, uh, Lisa and uh, Nicole. And so I applied for it back then, and 40 people answered. And so she split the, um, the, the cohorts into like one or two. She said, well, since the 40 people answered, we're going to make like, uh, she was surprised that that many people answered, I think. Uh, we'll make it into two uh, uh, cohorts. So one would be the first, and then I ended up being in the second one. That was like in October of 21, I think. And that finished in like January of uh, 22. And uh, yeah, it's just, just really amazing. And at the end of it, I was like, I thought, well, this is actually my opportunity to uh, really like try and like, uh, um, uh, how would you say, 
try my chops on uh, making the, the metaverse space and I put a lot of work into uh, uh, the space at the end of it and ended up like with Boria who's now the, the, um, the project manager for um, uh, VCA she was also in the cohort at the time uh, we ended up getting invited to make a lot of uh, digital spaces afterwards you know we did like for digital roots and a few other things for VCA and then I was invited back to be a mentor um, mostly like uh, to talk about like a uh, basics in uh, Blender and and uh, also like a metaverse building. Um, and I also do uh, once every cohort uh, with sometimes with uh, always with Boria, sometimes with uh, Walt as well. Um, Boria XYZ, amazing person she is, absolutely amazing person. Um, we we do a lesson going from like the the basics and beginnings of uh, of how to get started with Blender. And then how to make something which can then be uh, used in a metaverse space, you know. So that's the the lesson I do. But then also do like a mentorships where um, someone can choose a mentor, and then you can either like speak to them like a like a, when you want like for, you organize a call for an hour or, or two, or you can get like a series of calls together. And uh, last um, uh, last one I had like amazing uh, guys like Ariando and um, also uh, Luciana. You know Luciana. Uh, Luciana Guerra. Yeah, amazing artist. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and so like we had we had really really great calls and um, we also like now we we DM and we chat and it's like it's great. So it's turned into like this. It's overstepped like past the the VCA. You know, like now there's like a trust between us. Like she when she says like she's got a question or maybe she she's thinking about something. You know, she can run it by me. You know, so it becomes a little bit more than just that one. Uh, that moment, which I guess what a mentorship is, right? Um, but you end up like, but you end up like learning so much. Like this year, like uh, with this um, cohort, like uh, I'm going to take my fourth call like uh, on Monday. So I'm from uh, one of the cohorts, and just these conversations, you just yeah, you, you're just immersing yourself in in the uh, in the conversation, you know, and the creativity and. And hopefully people are hopefully people are getting some sort of information from me, or they're learning something from me. But I'm actually learning a lot from them as well, you know. Like, uh, so it's great. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if they explained what what it is, but uh, yeah, it does. It's very reminiscent of you know Twenty One Dow and what they're doing, but in a completely different direction. I think uh, Twenty One Dow offering you know the counseling to artists in the Solana ecosystem, whereas this is more of a full program with particular lessons a set time frame and the mentorship aspect of it which is a little bit more in depth and it's really interesting you know when i when you think of your time with the vca what's the most rewarding aspect of it um uh well as a cohort it was just amazing to um to to meet people i had like a build relationships with people from yeah the end of 2021 that I, I I'm in regular contact with now you know so there's that um, but as a as a mentor I still pop into the classes <laughs> here and there to just get like just the wealth of information it's actually all on YouTube as well so record everything and um, so so even if you're not part of the the residency you can actually watch everything for free if you go to like a VCA residency on YouTube um, they have all the lessons there although all recorded. But but again, I think as a mentor, it's just it's like an antidote to like for me personally, it's an antidote to like uh, when I turn on the Twitter, 
and there's some drama, you know, one day. And even if you're not following the people with the drama of what's going on, you're still finding out about the drama from secondhand because someone's complaining about the drama. And it's either about like uh, the market going down or it's like uh, gas fees on one thing, on one blockchain, or it's not enough people people buying or it's the one artist versus another artist. And that's all in the end, a lot of like bullshit, you know? And um, there's also like some good things, you know, but, but when you, when I'm talking one-on-one with uh, people in the mentorship or if I'm popping into a class and all these things, it's just that literally like in the same way we're talking right now, that's a beautiful thing. That is the thing, you know, like the, the connection, the, the fact that across like all the, the, the people from all over the world, and we can all have these personal connections. And uh, that's the greatest thing for me to, to, to be constantly reminded how, how amazing, interesting people are. And um, yeah, and the relationship you can have. That's why I continue to build Soul City Radio, because it, it takes us away from the echo chamber of the timeline. And it shows, one, the potential of what is possible through blockchain, just as much as, you know, the human quality. You never know who you're talking to. You never know someone's experiences, their wealth of knowledge, and how much you can actually learn about art, different mediums, processes, things that you can incorporate into your own art business that you probably otherwise wouldn't have learned had it not been for, you know, the connections made in Web3. Yeah, you know, especially since, like, as an artist, it's like it can be, like, very solitary, you know? You spend a lot of time just, like... I mean, with, with my digital art, you know, I'm spending a lot of time just looking at screens for a long time. When I mean, this is like when I put my kid to bed, you know, and then I have my my moments, you know. Then I'm mostly just kind of like staring at screens and being very. Or, or if I have a lot of time to myself, then I can. If I meet someone that I haven't seen for a while, then I can like even forget to speak properly. <laughs> you know what I mean? But uh, <laughs> but so so the fact that like with, as an artist to be in constant. Um, communication you know over the week with with certain people uh diverse people are that you know um you get you you remind yourself about the the, the wonderful human relationships you can have outside of of course your your close family and, and and personal friends in the artistic space which is something which i would say for a lot of people didn't exist before with, with the traditional art world that's not the way it works you know there's there you can get like cliques and you can get people who are like really like uh, hobnobbing between all the different galleries and everything, but not a lot of people can can keep that kind of crap up, you know. And especially if you've got a, a family, you, you can't be doing that. And um, and there's a lot of people who have the talent that just don't live in cities where there's a vibrant art community, and so yeah. it's a non-existent relationship. Yeah, but I mean, like, even I live in Berlin, and like, uh, yeah, Pockebelly, he does this really great. Uh, Adrian Pockebelly does this great uh youtube channel talking about art as well and um and he he's an artist in berlin he talks about a lot of his artistic friends and uh, he says yeah we're even in this big artistic city a lot of people aren't doing that great either <laughs> you know <laughs> so so even if you're you could be the remote part of the world even when you're in a place where it's like the third capital of art you know it's still not happening for a lot of people you know and i think web3 is like it changes lives you know like massively really no matter where you are yeah that's the beauty of this. And you know, we're kind of winding it down. If anybody's in the crowd and has any questions, feel free to come up and request that mic. If not, you know, I got one more question for you. And it is 
<laughs> don't, don't laugh before you say it. I'm scared. <laughs> Dude. Would you want a hologram? <laughs> you die. Uh, uh, you, you know, you know, it's funny. Like, uh, did you see? Have you looked at the work? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was actually my my uh, my work um, for uh, that I, I made for the the VCA like final show. And um, oh, that's yeah, and it's actually from. See, when I before when I was making a lot of like uh, um, titles like away from my digital work, I would mix up uh, blog post titles. To like my own like personal poetry to uh, like looking through like uh, um, like ancient history and like try and mix it up to have this whole idea of like everything is kind of like the meaning of all those things are kind of the same you know there's nothing like uh, um, it, it's, it's there's nothing subjectively more important than, than the other one like when you have one thing like if it's all describing the same work then it kind of that's the case and with that that was the title. And I don't even know if I remember reading it from a blog post, which is from a blog post. Uh, what if I don't want to become a hologram after I die? But I, I used it for th for that reason, but also because it was kind of like, uh, do you have a choice in anything? When when you're in, inside of the the digital revolution, the epoch that we're in, like, do you like? Is it a choice when someone says it at one point? Oh, by the way. Good news! You can be a hologram after you die. You can be an AI like a bot after you die or something. You know, it's like it's a choice. Like, what if I actually don't want that? That's I just want to, I just want to fucking die. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, and and the sculpture was like uh, the the face, and then you got the butterfly in it, and the butterfly was supposed to represent, um, you know, what a what a caterpillar turns into. You know, so it's just this but butterfly sitting on the nose of this thing, and it's kind of in a sense taunting the uh the face even though it's not actually uh, attached to a body you know but there's a certain there's a relationship between those two things so it's kind of so it's kind of like the the predicament of um being in between like be, being on the right of something which is amazing but also probably not having any choice about it either that must be beautiful that sounds it sounds is. fucking depressing. <laughs> I'm swearing a lot here. It sounds a little bit depressing after. <laughs> it's a bit depressing, but at the same time, it's it's, it's a bit beautiful because you know at the end of the day, you know, once that's the only guarantee we have in life. That is the only certainty. And what happens afterwards? Ain't nobody got a goddamn clue. <laughs> so if I get turned into a hologram, shit, do I have a well, choice? <laughs> but, but the actual sculpt that you did was fucking phenomenal. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks. Well, there is another, like, um, thinking about it off the cuff, there is another guarantee. If if death is the only guarantee in life, then uh, because that's the only guarantee, it must mean that we are actually guaranteed to be alive, right? So. Interesting. You know, the only caveat to that is maybe you don't get the chance to be born. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> that can turn us into a whole different <laughs> sounds like one of my, my weird uh conversations I used to have when I was taking trips when I was a teenager. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it does <laughs> it really does Lay some random field looking up at the sky, maybe a couple of trees off to the background. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But well, do you have any closing? Oh no! I would just like to say uh, uh, thank you for inviting me. You know, like uh, 
I always have like anxiety about talking about uh, myself or my art or something. And I listened to your interviews and I was thinking to myself, well, actually, this is the one person I could probably sit down and chat to, like, and I feel very comfortable with because, yeah, they're just really, really great to listen to your shows. And, but I still, I still got nervous anyway, you know, <laughs> but, I, I, but straight away, as soon as you started speaking and we started speaking to it, like that all just left. So I would like to say thank you for, um, for the things you do here and, and for, for being that type of person because, yeah, it, it's been an absolute pleasure. I appreciate that for real. Uh, trade secret. I still get nervous myself when I'm hosting these. So <laughs> I'm right on the boat, man. But cool. you, were, you were a pleasure. I, it was an honor to be able to dive in and get to learn about you because there's a lot that I saw and I wanted to connect some dots. And hopefully I connected some dots for the people in the audience and those that will listen to the replays. So it was an absolute pleasure, my friend. Uh, cheers, man. It's Thank you. And before we wrap up for the night, I want to leave y'all with a quote from the late German writer, art and film theorist, and perceptual psychologist, Rudolf Arnheim. Every great artist gives birth to a new universe in which the familiar things look the way they never before looked to for anyone. So as artists, yourselves, strive to bring life to your own unique universe through which we can come closer and observe life and understand life from your unique vantage point because nobody else has it. And hopefully in doing so, we can impact others along the way. And as always, stay hydrated, stay in high vibrations, think free, and we shall see each other again next week with photographer Stillness. Mad love, everybody. Thank you for listening to another episode of Art After Dark, brought to you by Soul City Radio. To support this podcast, feel free to check out the links below. And as always, stay in high vibrations, stay hydrated, think free, and we shall see each other again on the next one.